Inside Westminster, chapter 161, some reap rewards, others lose it all. Due to the stress of being charged with responding to the biggest health and therefore financial crisis since World War II, Tony Hancock, health secretary, had developed an annoying facial twitch and was concentrating on controlling it. Given the circumstances, the interview with Arch Inquisitor was going quite well, he thought. So what do you think of Professor Lockdown's fall from grace? Scythed Neil Forthright, cutting straight to the chase, as ever, and bringing Hancock up with a start. Uh, 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 stammered Hancock, continuing, I'm speechless, lost for words for once. And what about your promised 100,000 tests a day, so that the triple lock of test, track and trace can succeed? You achieved slightly more than that on the promised deadline, but since then there's been a steady decline, jabbed forthright. Well, well, it's all about capacity and we have vast capacity, retorted Hancock, hoping against hope that this would fob forthright off. No such luck. And what about our death toll? As of today, we have the glorious title of having the worst death toll in Europe, second only to the US, which is five times our population. What do you say to that, Mr Hancock? Hancock wished more than anything that he was somewhere else, anywhere, even the dentist's chair. No, second thoughts, not in an era of COVID-19. Then standing in front of his prep school headmaster, having been caught stealing tuck. Anywhere, anywhere but here at this moment. I asked you a straightforward question, Mr Hancock, and we're waiting. Hancock managed to get through the next 15 minutes of sheer hell, heaven knows how, by bumbling something about gold standard, world-class methods of counting. What? The nation was beginning to get a little world-weary and exhausted by it all. There was almost an audible collective shout of, How did we get to this point? Or was that in another nightmare that Hancock had been suffering from lately? The PM, who normally slept like a log, was having to get up twice a night to do his fair share of nappy changing and helping to latch baby Hector onto Mandy's newly rotund boobs. Is it tea or coffee this time? croaked Potty, who had still not fully recovered from the hacking cough that accompanies COVID-19. Tea, whispered Mandy, who was feeling totally drained herself. Tea was right, Titty, coffee left. It made the pair laugh and they were in desperate need of some old-fashioned banter. Another couple in desperate need of some light relief was Prince Marcus and Carla Fitzalan Hume, as they would, as they were headline news again in the post and not for any charitable reason either. Why did our food parcels not make the headlines, moaned Fitzy, adding, it's always the negative stuff. And true, the bear had been snapped boxing up goodies for key workers in their local hospital, but had only made page eight news of their being sued by for late payments on their share of the huge mortgage on their luxury ski chalet were banner headlines that day. The post had done a good job, and Dunk felt a bottle of bolly should be put in the fridge for later. After all, it had been his trip to Empingham School which had sown the seed of this little piece of investigation. He had phoned Ephemaria Quick, who seemed to be besties with half the world's glitterati, to pick her brains about the person slash persons who owned the other half of the enormous chalet. He'd heard on the grapevine that Dr Munn had something to do with it, and Bob's your uncle? Up popped the scoop 
that the actual half-share owner was, in fact, Madame Astrid de Bouvier, who was in the process of wresting millions in late payments from a hapless prince and his ex-wife. He phoned his love, Bobby. Hi, dearest heart, Dunk said. There's a case of Bolly in the garage. Can you put one of the, in the fridge, as I've come up trumps with the, that investigative piece I was working on? No problem, Bobby had replied. Which piece was that? Oh, you, you know, when we went up to the wilds of the East Midlands. It's born fruit, so to speak. But I'll tell you later. I'm a bit busy at the moe. Dunk, like you all fudge, had the opinion that journalism and, fe- and feeding the nation with news, or rather sensational gossip, was an essential job which made him a key worker, so he allowed himself the perk of occasionally visiting his office during lockdown. Must add Professor Lockdown to my list of persons of interest, he'd thought. I mean, why do such clever people think they're above the law? Couldn't be more ironic, as he helped write that particular one. And how do you socially distance when shagging? And someone else's wife to boot. Could be the makings of a comedy, if it weren't so darn serious, he chuffed to himself. Dunk couldn't stop smiling to himself as he viewed all the tabloids. His research had even made it to page three of the more serious papers. It had all hinged on the trip northwards when, on studying the Empingham's school's red book of past pupils, he had seen that the three men, Dr Munn, John Boss and Charles von Stratton, had all been in the same boarding house at this illustrious school. Sir Dunk had spent time digging, the fruits of which were splattered over the front pages of most red tops with the added bonus of an article dealing with the more frivolous matter of Fitz's business ventures, which had been part financed by Dr Munn, being picked up by another gossip journalist and making it into his Diary of London Life page. That'll pay the rent for a few months, Dunk thought with glee, continuing, and there's certainly more where that came from. I mean, isn't the American team of lawyers stepping up its pursuit of the hapless prince? And so the Wheel of Fortune for Fitzy and Prince Marcus, having reached its zenith with their celebratory part purchase of the Swiss chalet in 2014, was in the process of spinning out of control, sending Catherine Wheel-like sparks cascading all around. Their shenanigans were banner headlines again in all the Sunday papers, and even the usually stoic, stoically positive Fitzy was beginning to panic. It was that ghastly man Upstein who did it for us. I mean, we were flavour of the month in the Far East and they all loved my tea blends, said Fitzy crossly. She'd never bothered to quiz her husband about exactly what had gone on between him and Upstein for several reasons. A. She didn't want to upset any apple carts. B. She didn't want anything more to worry about, living firmly by the mantra, out of sight, out of mind. She wished now more than ever that she'd paid a little more attention back when she could have changed the course of history for her family. Life had been jogging along so nicely, she'd thought, confidently and blissfully unaware back in 2014 that there were several huge tigers waiting to crash out of the undergrowth and smash her little idyll idyll to pieces. Life was biting back and they were paying for their careless manipulation of so-called friends who'd been their friends purely because they were loaded and could be advantageous to the hapless couple.' 